Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Free Lutheran Church Sermon Archive. It's our hope that this message would encourage you in your faith and would help you to get to know God's love, grace, and mercy in a personal way. If you have any questions on the sermon or would like to know more about Maranatha, please visit us on the web at maranathafreelutheran.com or call our church office at 218-498-2808. Thank you, and may God bless. I'd like you to imagine yourself in this situation. You're in a good-sized boat out in the middle of a large lake someplace in Minnesota. Maybe it's Mille Lacs or Red Lake or Lake of the Woods or something like that. And the weather is a bit stormy, and the waves are getting high. But the driver of the boat seems rather calm. Nobody seems overly concerned. And, and as you're out there in the boat, you find you have this terrible itch someplace underneath your life jacket. And so just for a bit, you take that life jacket on to deal with that itch. And just then, there's a big wave that comes, knocks you out of the boat without your life jacket. You really don't know how to swim at all. And so now you are in serious trouble out in deep water, miles from shore, and going down fast. And, and you're gulping water and, and going down for the third time when suddenly a life ring is thrown to you with a rope attached to it. What would you do? Would you ignore the life ring and holler at the one who tossed it, thanks, but I think I'll just struggle out here a little longer if I can. Would you maybe grab onto it, but just ever so slightly, maybe with your pinky, and uh, you know, just in case you might need a little help, but still keep on flailing out there in the water? Or would you maybe even toss that life ring back to him and say, you know, I am insulted that you think I need that much help. Throw me a smaller ring and, and a lighter rope. Or would you grab onto that life ring with both hands, hang on for dear life, and let that tosser of the ring pull you in to safety and save you? I think I know your answer, and that would be mine too. Well, I share that example with you because today I want to talk about what it means to be saved. And when we talk about being saved spiritually, in some respects it's not a whole lot different than that example. And there's a scripture that I love going to. It explains this so clearly. It's the basis for my message today, and it's in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10. I invite you to stand at this time in reverence to God's word as we read that. Ephesians 2, beginning at verse 8. And by the way, in, in your bulletin, there should be the, the verses there and then also an, an outline of the message I'll be sharing today. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God be prepared beforehand that we would walk in them. Let us pray. Lord, thank you for this, your word, and thank you for these students here today and for their families that are here as well. And, and Lord, thank you that you, in your love, have provided a way we could be saved. Lord, I pray that each one of us would understand what that means, that your word would speak to our hearts about that, and that we would know for sure in our hearts um, if that is ours as well. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> I'm convinced that the most important thing in the world 
is to be ready if I'm to get knocked out of the boat. And I don't mean just physically ready for that because, you know, being one that swims just slightly better than a rock, I've learned how to wear a life jacket and keep it on in the boat, even if there's an edge. But what I'm talking about today is, is being ready for if my time comes to die. When I was a student in confirmation classes 44 years ago, my pastor asked each of us 11 students in the class individually this question. He would say, as we met there in his office, if, if you died tonight, Lloyd, do you think you'd go to heaven? Most of us weren't really planning on dying anytime soon. I don't think any of those 11 have yet. But you know what? There was a kid just a year behind us in school who didn't survive his junior year. We just never know when our time might come. And as a pastor today, I ask a similar question of each of the students before they get confirmed. And, and I follow it up with a related question, and it goes like this. If you did die tonight, and you were to stand before God, and he was to say to you, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? Now, I don't exactly expect that we will be facing a situation quite like that, because God doesn't need to ask us. He already knows what we're counting on as the basis of our getting in, if we think we're going to get there. But, but I ask that question because it gets at the heart of what a student is trusting in, if they think they will make it to heaven. And it is interesting, the answers that I get sometimes. And relaxed students here today, I promise confidentiality, and I will keep that. But the boating situation that I mentioned at the beginning helps us to think about what it means to have someone save them from something. And in order for us to believe that we're saved by someone, we have to come to an awareness of our helplessness to save ourselves in that dangerous situation. And then we also have to believe there's a source outside of us that can save us. In the beginning of Ephesians 2, in verses before the ones I read here, it spells out just how helpless our spiritual condition is. And it describes it really even as worse than we'd like to think of. We all know deep down that we are sinners. But Ephesians 2 says that we are spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins. Physically, we're, we're living to satisfy our selfish urges, but spiritually, we're dead. Because of our sinful nature that rebels against God and his word, it also says that we are, by nature, children of wrath. That is, that we're heading to the place where God's wrath will come upon those who reject him, and that is to hell itself. That's what the Bible tells us that each of us deserve. But our God, who is rich in mercy, has stepped in and saved all who will let them save him. So just how are we saved? And why do you do that? That's what I think this text answers for us today. And first of all this, then, if, if we are saved, we're saved by God's grace. Now grace is unmerited favor. It's getting good things that we don't deserve. For example, on your birthday or at Christmas, you, you might be given some gifts. Confirmation students here today, you might get some gifts today, and you didn't necessarily do anything to merit what you're getting. Nobody, by the way, checked with me to see for sure if you actually got all of your sermon notes in, and your quizzes done, and learned your books of the Bible before they decided if they were going to give you a gift. 
No, somebody just loves you and, and wants to do something special for you, and so they give you a gift. That's grace. It's a gift. And so if we're saved, it's by God's grace, and, and we're saved as a gift. Scripture tells us that God desires that all men would be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. God wants everyone to be saved, and he offers then this gift to all. But in order to benefit, so I should say, in order for a gift to benefit someone, it has to be received. And so then the question that we each must answer is this, how about me, have I received that gift or not? Well, how does one receive this gift? There's a qualifier here. There's a qualifier for anyone who is able to receive this gift. You see, you have to be helpless. You won't think you need to be saved unless you're helpless. That's part of why we think that babies are ideal candidates to receive it. They may not uh, know very much, but they are aware that they're helpless, and, and that's why they cry a lot. It's really about all they can do. In the Lutheran Church, we teach that God does something in baptism, and that he gives this gift of salvation to those who are helpless. And so then we gladly baptize helpless babies. However, as one gets older and comes to think that he or she is not so helpless, it's possible for them to reject this gift. And our goal with our confirmation instruction is to help each student then understand that and in their heart then affirm that they do realize their helplessness, they do desire this gift, and they have received it. And that brings us to a third point here. And if I am saved, my salvation is not of myself. And you know, when I asked that question, if you stand before God, and, and he was to say, well, why should I let you into my heaven? What would you say? It's not unusual to get an answer that's at least partly about some kind of, of self-effort. And, and that's true in talking to other people. It's true if you have a conversation with somebody on the street and ask that. And it might also be true of many church-going folks. We who are not helpless babies anymore so easily like to think that somehow we bring something to the table. Somehow, at least partially, we earn our place in heaven. Something, or somehow we, we do something to merit it. Otherwise, Anybody could get in, right? And, and certainly we tend to think, well, you know, I, I might deserve it a little more than those really bad people, right? After all, I've, I've been working hard to, to try to live a, a fairly moral life. Well, living a moral life is a good thing, but it will not help you to earn a place in heaven because, you see, to do so, you, you would have to be perfect. And God knew that none of us could accomplish that, and so he decided to offer it as a free gift. That's why it says here, for by grace you've been saved through faith, that not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. However, there's another qualifier about receiving this gift of salvation. As you grow in your knowledge and understanding, it's vital that you then understand that you are saved by having faith in Jesus Christ. Now what is faith, first of all? Hebrews 11 defines it this way. It's the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so faith then involves believing in some things that we can't see. For instance, I believe in electricity, though I do not see it. But I see what it does. And I've read about it and I've learned how to connect to it and to use it. 
I, I believe in the wind, though I can't see it. I, I feel it, and I see its effects. And I believe in Jesus Christ, though I cannot see him. Well, how did that happen? How did I come to believe in Jesus or have faith in him? According to Ephesians 2 here, even my faith or my belief was a gift from God. For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that, not of yourselves, it's a gift of God. And so even my faith is not something that I somehow muster up or generate ability to do, but it's something that God gives me, and he does that through the means of grace that he has ordained. That is through his written word and through the sacraments. And the sacraments then give us a visual picture of what the word describes. And we are saved by faith, but that faith has to be in Jesus Christ. And it is popular today to kind of have this mentality, you know, it really doesn't matter what you believe. It's good if you have some kind of religious perspective, but as long as you're really sincere. And so then all religious perspectives are somehow considered equal, and, and, and there are many different ways to heaven. But that's not what the scriptures tell us. And so having a general belief, for instance, in a creator God, that's a good thing. But it won't save you. No, according to 1 John 5, verse 11, it says this, The witness of God is this, that God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Or John 3.16 tells us, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him would not perish, but have eternal life. In John 14.6, Jesus' words himself, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. And the reason that we have to believe in Jesus is because he, the Son of God, became human flesh for us. He lived the perfect life that none of us could accomplish. And he then, the innocent one, was crucified like a guilty criminal in our place. And that was God's redemption plan. And Jesus paid the penalty of death and separation from the Father. As he hung there dying on the cross, the guilt of the sins of the world were removed from us and placed on him. And so we can be saved by God's grace it's a, as a gift when we in our helplessness rely on Jesus for our eternal salvation. And we teach then that, that even a helpless little child can receive that gift. And, and Jesus actually says in one place that we who are older ones spiritually need to become more like little children in order to receive it. In our baptism order of service, we also teach that this gift of faith in Jesus will be lost unless the child is taught the word of God and upheld by prayer and given a Christian example to follow. And, and that's why we have things in our church like cradle roll for when they're really young and then Sunday school and vacation Bible school and, and then confirmation classes. It, all of that so that that little child as they grow older are taught the word of God and they come then to a conscious awareness of their sinfulness and their need for Jesus as their savior and they trust in him. However, even after all of that, it is possible to fall away from that faith in Jesus and go lost. You see, the need for nurture of that faith is not done after they say their confirmation vows. But from here on, it, it ends up being at least partially then dependent on you students to make use then of the means of grace that God has given in his word and in the Lord's Supper. Uh, last week we had a confirmation class outing. Not all of them were able to be a part of that, 
So some of you missed some good pizza. And, uh, but also we took in a, a church service in a different church on a Saturday night. And the message there that night was on the parable of the soils. And we were reminded that the seed of the word of God falls out there on human hearts. And the devil does what he can to snatch it away from some. And others receive it and they are excited at first. And then in times of temptation they fall away. And others' lives are, are choked with worries and riches and pleasures of this life. And they don't grow to maturity. But there are some where the seed of God's word falls on good soil and it grows to maturity and it bears fruit. And my hope is that for each of our eight confirmation students, they are good soil for the word of God to grow in. But that can only be true if the seed continues to be watered and nurtured. And that happens in a relationship with other Christians. That's what the congregation is about. Believers need each other. And they need to be able to worship and pray and hear God's word with other believers. To be nurtured in that faith. You confirmation students have, have grown a lot in the last couple of years. Uh, you've grown in your knowledge of God's word. Some of you have grown an awful lot physically too in the last couple of years. Two years ago, some of you were a whole lot shorter, geekier, a bit more awkward. But you've grown out of some of that. And, and you've probably grown out of some of your seventh grade clothes and, and maybe some of your seventh grade habits as well. And you're more able to talk to people and more good looking and more able to act mature. But you never grow out of your need for nurture in God's word. And so encourage, keep coming and feeding on it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 reminds us that each of us can be saved by God's grace. It's a gift when we in our helplessness rely on Jesus for our eternal salvation. And I see one other thing here in verse 9. And in a way it's already been said and yet... It, in case you didn't catch it, it's said in a slightly different way to remind us again here. When we're saved, it's not a result of works. Because if it was, then we would boast. You see, if, if I had a part, for instance, in, in my saving myself out there in the lake, then you know what I'd do later? I, I would downplay the role of that one who tossed the life ring at me, and I'd play up my part in rescuing myself. But we can take no credit whatsoever for our salvation. The only thing that I contribute to my salvation is a sin that made it necessary for God to send a Savior. No one is going to get to heaven even partially based on their works. If any of us did, then you know, here would be the picture. Imagine we're in heaven someday, then we're talking to each other and saying, so, so how'd you get here? Well, let me tell you, I got here by doing this, and we'd list all those things, my accomplishments that I can brag about. But no one will be able to boast in heaven except in Jesus and his great love for us. There's one more thing we need to understand from this text. It comes up there in the last verse, verse 10. And it answers this question then, well, if, if my good works don't do anything to save me, then what is the place of doing them? Well, you see, they are a result of my being saved. Well, if somebody threw me that life ring, I would be so thankful that person the rest of my life. Well, it is a, a thanksgiving to God for his amazing grace and mercy to save a wretch like me that I then want to serve him however I can and I want to help others to be saved in Jesus Christ as well. 
Verse 10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we walk in them. And so think of yourself as, as, a, as clay in a potter's hands. We're being molded into useful vessels if we, if we will let God shape us. And that's a daily process. And it's not complete until we breathe our last. You know, we sometimes get kind of discouraged with the slowness of our progress. We might at times be discouraged with the sin that we slip into. And we, it seems like we're taking a step forward and then two steps back in our character development. And, you know, we can end up slipping into this perspective that, oh man, God must be so displeased with me. He, he probably doesn't even like me anymore. I, I better try harder to be good. I, I better really dedicate myself this time to improving in order to please him. When I was in college, my pastor led a Bible study that left a profound impact on me. And there's one thing he said that I will never forget. He said this, if you are a Christian, then there is not a thing that you can do that will put you in a better standing with God than you already are in Christ. You catch that? If you're a Christian today, then there is not a thing you can do that can put you in a better standing with God than you already have because of Christ. And you know, that was so freeing for me at that point, and it, it still is. It helps me to, to not keep beating myself up about my many failures and to rest in, in the finished work of Jesus and what he accomplished on the cross. And it helps me then to live in a simple daily repentance and faith in Jesus. And I hope that it helps you to do the same. That's God's desire, that we would know that we're saved, that we'd be trusting in Jesus to save us and that we would live then in daily repentance and faith, looking to him each day. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord God, for your word today, and, and we pray that, Lord, it would find good soil in, in each of our hearts, in each of the hearts of these young people here today. Uh, we ask, Lord, your blessing on them in a special way as they and their families uh, are here today and, and partake of communion and are reminded that each of us need personally the forgiveness that only Jesus offers. And we pray that you'd help us to continue to live in daily repentance and faith each day of our life. We pray in his name. Amen.